0: well. We're going to have a little bit of a different Sunday today, Um, and uh, this is not a part of a series, so no yard signs or anything. You notice all the props are gone and all that. It's just me, and uh, if it's your first time here, I just want you to know this isn't a typical message, but it's an important message. We left this Sunday open in the programming calendar because we figured we might need it, because I don't know if you noticed, we had kind of an election this week, (laughs) And the operative words are kind of, because I wrote the sermon uh, thinking we would not know the winner. And so the title of the sermon is Who Won? Truly, that's the title. (laughs) Whoops. Okay, so then yesterday about noon, I'm like, oh my gosh, do I need to rewrite it? I don't. I figured out a workaround. Okay, so we're fine. We're fine. Uh, But just know this is kind of an in-between Sunday, just for us to be able to respond to this intense election that we've had. So Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Then I'm going to talk a little bit about the story's mission as a response to the reality of this divided, fractured world that we live in. But the real heart of the message today is about your investment strategy. How are you investing your life, this one life? What are you building this life around? We just sang this song, I will build my life around you, God, What are you building your life around, and how does your investment portfolio, in terms of your time, money, and passion, fit the life you say you're building, okay? So that's the gist of today. As you probably noticed, uh, we we did have this election at the end of this really contentious, uh, uh, you know, season. (laughs) I think what I hoped for one way or the other was something decisive. I wanted something that could not be questioned, you know, something that couldn't be dragged out for weeks in the courts or in recount processes. And that didn't happen. So even with yesterday's announcement, you realize this isn't over, right? Like, even if you think it is, Like, even if you're sure what the end result's going to be, you still must prepare yourself for weeks of more of this. (laughs) Recounting, and this will end up in the courts and things like that. I just say that because I love you. I want you to be prepared emotionally so it doesn't catch you off guard. Love him or hate him, our president is not going down without a fight. We know that about him, right? So just get ready. It's going to be a little longer process than perhaps we thought, and so... You know, even if I guess we can't completely as a nation come to terms about who, who won, and I don't think we ever will. I don't think this nation will ever agree about who won this election. I think that's just a symptom of our culture, right? Whether or not that reflects reality, I don't know, but it's a symptom of our culture, that divisiveness. We will always disagree about who won yesterday or this week, but I, I think there's no doubt who lost. As I look back on this process, on this year, I think there's no doubt who lost. And I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, anyone who over-invested anything of significance in this political process came away a loser this week. Anyone who over-invested in a candidate of hope or in a political party or anyone who over-invested against a candidate or against a political party will eventually come to regret that investment. That's just a truism. Now, some of you were like, no, 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 it was worth it. It's totally worth it because, you know, you're feeling pretty good today, some of you maybe. Uh, Okay, just, I'm just telling you, uh, let the emotions, you know, settle a little bit. And you'll realize eventually that if you place too much hope in political processes, you are bound to be disappointed by that return on investment regardless of which side. All right? This just happens over and over again. We keep making the same mistakes. And it appears as though we overinvested in this election by and large. Maybe not all of us, but collectively as a culture we did. 14 billion dollars of our hard-earned money was spent on this election. 14 billion dollars in the midst of a pandemic and a crashing economy. 14 billion on just federal elections, president and congress. It's not even the local stuff, state stuff. billion. And it's not even just about the money. You may or may not have contributed money to a campaign, but how much time do we spend on this thing? How much time do we spend scouring the headlines or, you know, scrolling social media, arguing with friends and family? We spent all kinds of other capital, other than money, on this election. Some of us spent social capital on this election. It seems like everybody that I've talked to lately has a story to tell about a friendship they lost somebody that unfriended them or online or in person or a family connection i have a situation where a family connection's been fractured because they can't be friends with someone like me apparently or something like that's that's the kind of stuff we're doing and we have to stop and ask ourselves in light of that investment is it worth it are we getting a return that's worth it so I think that's a question that's worth asking, all right? So I understand there are some people that are legitimately excited about yesterday's announcement and the speeches and everything, and I'm not knocking that, okay? Uh, I understand that objectively speaking, politics aside, you know, we're gonna have a woman in a role that no woman has ever been in before, a woman of color. I'm raising a daughter who's going to be a woman of color one day. Like that's objectively, that's a big deal, okay? Regardless of what party, whatever. I don't care about that stuff. I'm just saying objectively, I understand why some people are very excited, but I'm just cautioning you to guard your heart, all right? And I'm not judging you, because I have been guilty after spending weeks telling you not to make politics the Lord of your life. Guess what I did this week? I absolutely made politics the Lord of my life. I was up all night, Tuesday night. I'm too old for that. I can't afford to be up all night especially for politics, I was a wreck. I was irritable, cranky. I wasn't a good husband, wasn't a good father. And then other nights I was up late as well, scrolling the headlines, trying to figure out what's really going on here. And one night, I think it was Thursday night, I'm scrolling about midnight and the light from my iPad wakes Giovanna up. She's laying next to me and wakes her up. She didn't like it. I could tell she wasn't happy. She rolled over with a grunt. I'm hoping she'll just go back to sleep. Don't say anything, don't say anything. But she said, you know, you're just wasting precious time and energy on this, don't you? And I said, but this only happens once in a quadrennium and I'm a pastor and it's my job to be informed. <laughs> uh, I know, I know I'm pretentious, and, but that was the only ammo I had at that point. You know? and, and she said, uh, it doesn't matter how late you stay up tonight. It doesn't matter how long you spend watching the headlines. They're going to be the same in the morning, regardless of how long you spend watching the news. The headlines will be the same in the morning, and it was one of those things in marriage where you know she's right, but you're not ready to deal with it. And so I just I said go sleep, and uh, <laughs> uh, and then she said in uh, a very authoritative way, uh, "I'm going to bury your iPad in the backyard tomorrow," and. I believed her, and so I turned it off, and, uh, and I drifted off to sleep. But before I did, I kept thinking about that, that. She said, you know, it doesn't matter how long you watch the news, the headlines will be the same. What does that mean? I'm investing a lot in getting nothing in return. I'm investing my time, my energy, and my emotions. And in some cases, some of us are investing money in something that's not going to change based on what we're doing. and, and so you know, I think sometimes we we don't think about time and energy like we think about money. I think sometimes we think about money one way and time and energy another, but maybe we shouldn't think of it that way. Maybe we should think about time and energy and passion and emotion as finite resources like we do money. I know how much money we have generally to spend, and so I live accordingly. Gio and I, we budget our families, budget accordingly. We live within our means, but You know, imagine if one day I just decided, I don't want to do that anymore. (laughs) Imagine if, as your pastor, I just decided, I'm going to start throwing money out the window. I'm going to live frivolously. It's going to be treat yourself every day for Pastor Eric. I, uh, you know, at the expense of my kids, at the expense, you know, I'm not going to feed my children. I'm not going to pay my mortgage. I'm not going to offer my tithe or my offerings at church. Like, would you go to that church if the pastor drove a Lamborghini, but his kids were starving? No, of course you wouldn't. So why is it okay to spend time frivolously. Why is it okay to spend another finite, precious resource like time frivolously? My confession to you is that it's not okay. Our time and our energy, our passion is all as precious as our money, and we should be careful about how we are investing. And so if you are someone who is excited about the results or the apparent results of this election, I just, I want to caution you because I love you and I don't want to see you heartbroken. I want to I want you to be careful with your investment in that. And if you're someone who's upset, and you're ticked off. Maybe you're ticked off at me for just saying, you know, there are results. Or, like, maybe you're mad at me. Like, I'm just telling you, don't let that train leave the station either. Be careful with that investment, because that will eat you alive as well. And we have, to, we have to really wonder what we're doing here, investing our lives in something that's really just tearing us apart. All right, so... Uh, I think we have to be very careful about how we, how we invest in these finite resources God gives us. I'll, I'll say all of that couched in the fact that we are not alone in this, that this is not a new problem. People have been misdiagnosing their problems for as long as people have been around. I just want you to realize that when and if or whatever, the, whoever's in the White House changes your problems won't go away. I hope you know that. Like, Trump is not your problem, even if you hate him. If he vacates the White House, the only thing that changes is you're gonna have to work a little harder to find the new villain to blame for your angst. Because it'll still be there. Because our problems don't live in Washington. Our problems are much closer to home. Our problems are always connected to these bad investments that we're making that we are refusing to cut our losses with. And I think that's exactly what God is calling us to do, is to cut our losses and reassess our investment strategy. To cut our losses and reassess, but it's hard. I confess to you, it's hard. We don't like admitting that we've failed. It feels like an insult when we're so deeply invested in something and somebody comes along and says that it's a waste. But I think that's exactly what God's calling us to see, those of us, especially those of us who've been over-invested in politics. Go back to Genesis 1 with me. God made the first two people. And if you remember the first command God gave to people, it wasn't something super religious or high and mighty. God simply said in Genesis 1:27 to Adam and Eve, multiply and fill the earth. And y'all know exactly how people multiply, right? Pretty sweet command God gave. That's the first thing he actually told people to do, multiply and do that thing everybody loves to do that I made so much fun for you. You're welcome. And do that until the whole earth is full of people. Don't stop until the earth is full of people. Be like rabbits, multiply, multiply. It only took people 10 chapters to devise a new plan. Even though the first one was pretty awesome. By Genesis 11, the people have decided they don't want to multiply and fill the earth. That's scary. The earth, It's a big bad place. It's scary to go out there and think about filling all those ecosystems and and, having to adapt. We'd like to have one city instead, around one tower where we speak one language and we have one race and we create one culture. Instead of all that diversity God wants, we want to be the same. There's security and safety and sameness. And so they invested in a tower. And I don't know if you've read Genesis 11 but it didn't turn out well for them. It was, the Tower of Babel was not a good investment strategy. Okay? So God let them kind of have their way for a while, as God does, but it didn't turn out well in the end. The people knew what God wanted, but what they wanted felt better than what God wanted. And that saga continues throughout Scripture. So several generations after the Tower of Babel... God rescued his people in Egypt. You know the story from Exodus. God rescued them from their slavery, led them into the wilderness where they were free. And in their freedom, they're wandering around the wilderness. God is with them every step of the way, even when they complain and they're spoiled. God gives them bread from heaven. God gives them water from a rock. God shows them he's with them by a symbol of a cloud in the sky and, and fire. He's with them, protecting them, taking care of them. He's always there every step of the way. But that wasn't enough for the people. Because in just a matter of a few generations, they decide that God's eternal, everlasting presence and power is not enough for them. They have a better plan. And the leaders of Israel in 1 Samuel chapter seven, chapter 8 go to Samuel, who was the prophet, and they demand a king. So. Here we go. We have 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 4 to 7. All the leaders of Israel came together and said to Samuel, appoint a king to lead us. Why? Why do they want a king? Such as all the other nations have. All right? And so, and so this displeased Samuel when the people said, uh, give a king to lead us. And so Samuel prayed about it. Let's change that slide. Uh, there we go. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you, it is not that you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Check out what's happening. God's like, you can have me as your ruler. You can have me as your king. I'm with you always. We're good. You're my people. I'll always protect you. You don't have to be like everybody else investing in a king and a kingdom. I'm here. And that's not enough. And they want their own king, like all the other people have. Okay? Even though... God told them what it would mean that they would end up just as divided and as fearful and as fractured as other kingdoms on earth. And that's exactly what happened. 20 years into the kingdom experiment, they'd already been through two kings. They have a third king now, a candidate full of hope and promise, King David. And King David comes in and he gets comfortable in his role as king. He settles into the palace. And then David, who had seen the rest of the world when he was a warrior and now as a king, he had seen other cities and how they treat their gods. Every other god he'd ever seen had a house. But the God of Israel was homeless, it seemed. And David said in 2 Samuel chapter seven, I live in a house of cedar while the ark of God lives or remains in a tent but that night the word of the lord came to nathan saying nathan's the prophet at this point saying go and tell my servant david this is what the lord says are you the one this is you have to read this tongue in cheek are you the one to build me a house this is god saying this are you the one build me a house to dwell in you really think you're up to that i haven't dwelt in a house from the day i brought the israelites up out of egypt to this day i've been moving from place to place with the tent as my dwelling Listen to what God's saying. I don't need your house. I don't need you to put me in a box. I live with you wherever you are. I follow you around, right? Uh, I'm always there. I'm always present. Don't put me in a house. I live in your house. And so as it turns out, I mean, we all think about the temple as something God blessed. And that's because sometimes God will entertain our ideas, (laughs) Sometimes he will walk with us even when our plans contradict his. Sometimes he'll graciously walk alongside of us. So he let the temple be built. But initially God said here through the prophet Nathan and also through the prophet Israel, I don't need your, uh, through the prophet Isaiah, I don't need your house. God said through Isaiah in chapter 66, verse one, heaven is my home. The earth is my footstool. Who do you think you are to build me a house? The poor investment strategy to build God a house and put him in a box especially when he's willing to crash at your place for free. It's exactly what God wanted, but David wanted something else. Fast forward a thousand years after that, people still hadn't learned their lesson. Jesus marching toward Jerusalem, and he's collected a crowd. A multitude of people are in tow. And he wants to make sure these people understand what they're in for because he gets the sense that what they're investing in isn't what he's about. And so he makes sure they know what he's invested in, what investment he's about to make in Jerusalem. And this is what he says in the gospel of Matthew chapter 16, again, to explain to his disciples, he's got to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. The hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. And Peter, this is my favorite disciple. Y'all know how much I love Peter. Took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, (laughs) Peter said, sweet, sweet Peter. Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You Do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter was making a bad investment, and when you love someone who's making a bad investment and you know it, you tell them. And that's what Jesus is doing. I have a lot of of sympathy in my heart for Peter. He had good intentions, but Peter was not invested in a sacrificial lamb who was going to go and die in Jerusalem. Peter thought he was investing in a warrior, someone who was going to go to Jerusalem and take over, someone who was going to go and expel the Romans from the holy city of God. Peter had in mind a whole different scenario. Peter was already imagining himself playing Kamala to Jesus as Joe Biden. He was going to be the VP in Jerusalem. That was his plan. And so Jesus had to set him straight because he was making a bad investment. He was staking all of his hopes and his dreams on something that was false. Something that would never bring a return. And this is where we land today. I want to ask you a question along the same lines. When you think about your life and your finite resources, your money, of course, but also your time and your passion, your emotion, your energy, your thoughts, these are all precious resources God's given you. What bad investments are you making? And holding on to, even though they're continuing to bleed you dry. I'm not just speaking about that blockbuster video stock you refused to let go of, but like real everyday investments that you're making that will never yield a return. Okay, Priorities that you set, that you're clinging to, even though it's killing you. Habits that have entrenched themselves, that are taking your life away instead of adding to it. Relationships that are toxic but you refuse to move on, it's hard. It's hard to cut your losses. But it's worth asking, what investments are you making that do not coincide with or agree with God's plans and purposes for your life? And if you're unclear about God's plans and purposes for your life, Jesus makes it crystal clear. He is completely unambiguous about this. If you love him, if you love God, he makes clear his purposes for us and what our investments then should be. He says this in part of the Great Commission, which is in Matthew chapter 28, just before he goes to heaven. This is after his death and resurrection. And he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit." and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always. So what I see here are a few very obvious priorities that Jesus sets for us. And the first is making disciples. The second is baptizing. And the third is teaching. Make disciples, baptize, and teach. This investment strategy of Jesus, this is why our mission is what it is at the story. It's why it's always been that simple. What are we here to do? We're here to inspire non-religious people to follow Jesus. What do you call somebody who follows Jesus? A disciple. We are all about disciple making at the story. If we have some great idea, some investment opportunity come up that sounds fun and glitzy and awesome, might draw a crowd, but it doesn't lead to the making of disciples, we don't do it. We don't invest in that unless it leads to making disciples of Jesus, because that's all we're here for. Okay, so you you probably have noticed that we have more groups than ever, even in 2020, even when we haven't been able to gather in person for most of the year, we have more groups meeting with more people in them than ever before. Why is that? Because COVID has been this huge reminder that church isn't about putting behinds in seats on Sunday mornings. Church goes on, even when that doesn't. Because it was never about creating a spectacle for people to come and watch. We don't want consumers. We don't want viewers. <laughs> we want disciples. And so if you're coming on Sundays, that's awesome. Just know it's the beginning and not the end point. We want to catapult you into one of these groups where you can grow deeper. That's what we do here, starting on Sundays, but throughout the week with dozens of groups. From the marriage class to small groups to Bible studies, you may have noticed that we baptize at the story. Not as much during COVID, unfortunately. We did a few masked baptisms and that was fun. But since the story began five and a half years ago, we baptized over 340 people. We've, we've, these hands and Giovanna's hands have plunged 340 people under the water. It's hard to even fathom that kind of a number. That's what we're about because baptism is such an important symbol of God's grace, pouring over someone and and making them new. And of course, you probably have noticed that in the last seven or eight months, we have basically created this turnstile of nonstop teaching of the gospel from our Sunday sermons to our foundations class on Sunday nights to our children's ministries to our story at home podcast three times a week to our Bible studies on Wednesday night. The gospel is always being taught here. Why? Because that's how you make disciples who then make more disciples. That's everything. Now, I know that may not sound like everything Jesus talked about or told us to do, right? because he also talks about feeding the hungry, talked about taking care of the poor, looking out for the lost and lonely, right? Shouldn't we be doing that too? Shouldn't that make our list of priorities? Yes, of course. But this is how that works. I mean, cutting a check to a soup kitchen is great, and I highly recommend it. If if God leads you to do that, that's awesome. Just know that giving in a one-time kind of a, a way makes a dent for sure. It makes a difference. But investing in the making of a disciple is to invest in a person who will spend the rest of his or her life writing those kinds of checks and making those kinds of investments and making that kind of a difference for decades to come. And if that disciple you're making outlives you, then your legacy lives beyond your life on this earth. Because those disciples, this generation of disciples that we're raising up, they're the ones that create change, real lasting change in ways that my single check to an organization here or there just can't do all that stuff is good don't hear me wrong I'm just what I'm saying is disciple making must be priority number one I stood in this room where y'all are sitting right now with on Sunday night for foundations uh for our, our student ministries foundations group And uh, it was packed. I mean, as packed as you can be safely in COVID season, right? Packed is a new relative term now, but it was young people everywhere, masked up with a young band, student band, leading in worship, and they're all growing deeper in their faith. And when I spoke, they were just with me the whole time and I could see it. They're becoming disciples of Jesus. That generation is going to rise up and make a difference in this increasingly secular, increasingly hopeless world. When I think about the investments we're making in them, I can't think of any greater return that we're going to see. There's a, only a handful of people at the story who, for as long as they pledged, let's say for the past three years, they've pledged every year, but they've also fulfilled 100% or more of their pledge. There's, things happen. I'm not judging or anything, but I understand. Like it's, it's hit or miss sometimes. Houston is a volatile economy or whatever. Okay, so there's only a few people that have fulfilled their pledge every year for the last three years. One of them is a young man named Aiden. Aiden in 2018, pledged $52 for the year. One dollar a week. And he gave that dollar faithfully every week. And he fulfilled his pledge. 2019, same thing, $52. A dollar every week fulfilled his pledge. In 2020, he's doubled his pledge. From $52 to $104. And $104 may not seem like much to you, but if you... You consider that during those three years, Aiden was in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. (laughs) And the commitment that young man has to the gospel, spreading the love of Jesus around the city of Houston. If I could only be so faithful, if I could only trust God that much. I know I didn't when I was in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. But every week that young man puts his dollar in. This year is two dollars, and every week he's faithful. I see a young man becoming a disciple and he's just one of many in this congregation that we're investing in because they are going to change the world around them in ways that I cannot. That's an investment that matters. As we look ahead to 2021, we've got big visions, big dreams. God's laid on our heart. And I will tell you this, God's going to do those things he wants to do with or without us. With or without me, with or without you, with or without the story. He will do what he wants to do in the city of Houston and beyond. And so the invitation to give to his kingdom, to invest in disciple making, isn't a beg. It's not, please help us do this. It's, hey, you want to be a part of this? because the dreams we're dreaming now will be the celebrations of next year at this time. And the celebrations of today are the dreams we dreamt a year ago, the dreams we invested in a year ago. (laughs) That's how this works. We're planting seeds here. And I want you to experience the joy being a part of that. And I understand two things. First of all, I understand 2020 is different. A lot of stress, a lot of uncertainty. I get it. I also understand that I promised you Play your part, 2021 was going to end in October. Sorry, but we're still talking about it (laughs) because I want you to know what the plans are and how you are blessing so many. In 2021, 35 to 40 cents of every dollar we give to the story will bless Pastor Kale and the new ministry about to launch At the Timber Grove campus. About uh, 20 to 25 cents of every dollar given to the story makes worship happen, where people invite their friends to join them online or in person to come and meet Jesus. About 10 to 15 cents of every dollar given to the story makes our media ministries possible, the videos that people share, the podcast, the Maybe God podcast, reaches 4,000 people, unique downloads every episode. And most of these are people who aren't ready to go to Sunday church yet, but they're asking questions. They're disciples in waiting. And that's an investment that's worth making. Listen, I believe God is trying to give us the whole world to make disciples in. I pray that we never settle for a single tower. I believe that God is willing to be our king and our ruler, and I pray that we never settle for presidential politics. I believe that God wants to be with us wherever we are, in our homes, on the streets, and at work, and even here, but I pray we never settle for a box to shove them in. I pray we never fall for the deception and the lie that Just sitting around and watching this world go to hell in a handbasket is going to change the headlines in the morning because it won't. But do you know what will change the headlines a year from now? Five years from now? 10, 15 years from now? Make a disciple today. Invest in someone who's falling in love with Jesus. Baptize them. Teach them. And send them to make disciples too. That is how we change the world. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray for courage as we um, prepare for this new year ahead. As we come together as a community with our commitments and our pledges, Lord, I pray that we will be faithful and not fearful. As we have seen you come through time and time again, many of us are sitting here today because of the faithfulness of others in the past and because we fearlessly gave and you came through, Lord. And so help us to see how you're giving us an opportunity now to make your story known to so many others to change the world, not through the channels of this, of this world, through the channels of the gospel, not through petty politics, but through pure love, love shown to us with God Himself, pour, pouring out his blood on the cross, canceling every sin, forgiving every debt, setting every slave free. Lord. We celebrate that and we invest in that more than anything else and above all else. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.